Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week on The Big Show, the Academy Awards takes place this Sunday night, and we are honored to welcome back two-time Oscar winner Russell Williams. We'll talk about his picks and get an insider look at Hollywood's biggest night. Plus, we'll also discuss the Netflix three-part documentary, They Gotta See Us. And we'll have movie news and reviews of the latest films, including the aforementioned They Gotta See Us, Uppity, and Birds of Prey, all on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Experience life through the eyes of a true film addict. Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. show charles kirkland will stop by and join us for the show uh we also have a huge show as you heard at the top coming up two-time oscar winning uh sound mixer russell williams the second will be with us today in addition to that we will also talk about the new three-part uh i guess it's a documentary that's on netflix called uh, they got to see us, uh, distributed by Array, which is Ava DuVernay's company. And we'll also have movie reviews and all that stuff coming up. You know what we do every week. Wilson Morales will join us momentarily to let us know what's going on in entertainment this week. But before we go there, I just want to say one more time, congratulations to all of last night's winners at the 20th annual Black Reel Awards, Dolomite is my name eight wins last night including outstanding motion picture congratulations to the entire cast and crew of dolomite which i feel i mean i don't have a vote or anything i feel somewhat vindicated because dolomite was literally shut out from sunday's academy awards i know it got love from you know the 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 bfcc the CCA and all of the other smaller groups and things that kind of uh, promoted this film. Um, just happy for those guys. Plus, it was a big night last night for both us and, sorry, it was a big night on Thursday night uh, for uh, films such as Us and Queen and Slim, which also brought home four awards apiece. So for more information, you can go over to blackrealawards.com, check that out. That's a lot of fun. So with that behind us, we are now officially on to 2020. And to welcome us into 2020 for the first time in three weeks, this globe trotter finally comes back on the air. It is my man, 50 Grand, the editor-in-chief of BlackFilm.com. It is Wilson Morales. Mr. Morales, how are you? I'm good. Uh, that's not yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, what's going on, man? You know, it's Oscars on Sunday. You've been you've been around the world two or three times since the last time I talked to you. What's up? Not much, you know. It's just been a, a little two week trip from Sunday to London to LA. Now back home in New York. You know, getting ready to watch the Oscars like everybody else, and then we start the new year all over again. 
Right, right. All right, man. So I know you've been, you've been premiering this week, man. I saw online that they had uh, 50 Cent's new ABC drama. Um, I forget the title of it. Uh, they had the premiere last night, and I know you were there for that as well. Yeah, you know, he's got a new series, 50 Cent, you know, uh, as he's wrapping up, you know, the sixth and final episode in series of Power, 50 Cent, you know, is moving on already. You know, he's, he's executive producing a new show, this time on broadcast TV, ABC, called For Life. Uh, it's based on a man's story about, um, I don't know the whole story, but a guy who's in prison but turned out to be a turn, uh, made himself to be a lawyer and is defending other individuals while he's trying to prove himself innocent. Uh, you know, so that's the first of many uh, projects that 50 Cent has. As we know, the finale of Power and that Who Shot Ghost episode will end this coming Sunday at the same time as the Academy Awards. But for those who are Power fiends, they'll be watching it on demand the minute it hits 12 o'clock on Sunday morning. Did I hear you say this is the last one or is it two more left? No, this is the last one. The final episode. Man. Well, I mean, I already know who did it, man. I mean, we're we just waiting for the reveal. I mean, you know, you sort of know. Well, I'd, I'd like to think they'll surprise us, you know. It'd be a little bit disappointing if we are, if, if you got what you thought, you know. Like, don't, don't be too obvious. <laughs> All right. I mean, you know, like I said, man, I think the, the episode they did that had Tommy in it was sort of a dead giveaway because I was like, Really? Tommy, shoot him, man. Just shoot him. <laughs> you never know. We got a long way to go. We got a day to go. We got a day to go. Nah, man. All right, well, we'll check it out, man. So what else has been happening, man? You know, uh, I don't even want to talk about Sundance. We will revisit some of those Sundance films a little later in the year. Yes, yes. Some of those films that they picked up, so at least that's a good thing, that you can, you can revisit them later in the year. You know, obviously – um, this is a time period, you, you know, you don't get the best of films coming out now because it's an Oscar time. You know, you saw a movie like Rhythm Section flop at the box office last week. You know, Bad Boys is still doing well. Or probably coming to number two this week behind Birds of Prey. You know, uh, anytime you get a comic book movie out, you know, it tends to do well. This one has, you know, uh, an Asian filmmaker, Kathy Yan, um, an Asian filmmaker, Kathy Yan, and, uh, you know, and uh, what's it called? Uh, Journey Smollett, and uh, you know, it's Journey Smollett, and that brother's out in them streets, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, so you know, so yeah, so you have Kathy Yan, you know, obviously you have Margaret Robbie reprising her role from what she did in Suicide Squad, you know, it's gonna have its opinion, you know, and people are, when it comes to comic book movies. People get what they want, and people are disappointed, you know. But at the end of the day, all the producers care is that it makes money. I, you know, I wasn't that impressed with Venom, but once it makes a billion dollars, no one's arguing, <laughs> you know. So you have those movies, and then you're, you're going to get the start of a lot of TV shows. You know, you've got um, Abel DuVernay's got a new series coming up called Cherish the Day, which is going to be on OWN. And, you know, every series, you know, now you're getting, in a way, the mid-season series popping up on a number of uh, TV shows, TV, uh, on a number of networks. Man, um, I've been, I've, I just left the movies uh, before we came on the air this morning, and um, I saw, I've already seen this trailer several times, but I saw it on the big screen. You know, man, I, I, I used to kill Chris Rock 25 years ago, man. I remember when, I, when he did CB4 and how I thought he just was such a bad actor. And then to watch him over the last couple of months, and we see Fargo, that uh, he's going to be in season four of that, and now Spyro, the book of Saw. I'm like, all right, Chris, I see you, man. Uh, you keep doing your thing. He is a much better dramatic actor. See New Jack City. He's a really good dramatic actor, man. What are you, what are you feeling about these upcoming projects from Rock? He got a new manager. He's got a new agent. He's reinventing himself. You know, uh, the older you get, you can't be funny at the age of 50-plus. You can, you know, but it takes a lot. In the meantime, you know, when you're doing these shows like, um, 
you know, when you're doing these shows like uh, Fargo, which is something new, and obviously they needed some color on that show, and, and you're bringing back the Saw franchise with a new story along with Samuel Jackson, you definitely come in, you know, doing something new, you know. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's everything old is new again. You're, you're seeing Eddie Murphy back on the screen. You're seeing Chris Rock back on the screen, you know. That's what sells. You know, people know what he can deliver, and now they're going to see him in a different light. Man, I am very excited for him because I remember watching the Fargo uh, episode. I mean, not the Fargo episode, but the trailer of Fargo probably about a month ago. And I was like, man, that looks good. And then when I saw Saw, I was like, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. New representation does help because they are rebranding Chris Rock in an exciting new way. Um, so, And then also speaking of that, Talking about people who have exciting projects coming up next week, the photograph drops in theaters, and then next month, um, I forget what the name of uh, the 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 I think it's the Lovebirds with uh, Issa Rae and I forget the gentleman's name from um, Kamali. Yeah, so uh, Issa Rae, man, I mean, look at her. She is now rebranding herself, sort of as a leading woman now, man. I mean, what do you what are your feelings about that one, Wilson? Well, like I said, you know, she's been a leading woman in comedy with her Insecure series on HBO. Yeah, but, I'm, ta- but I'm talking about specifically on the big screen, though. I mean, you're yeah, right. Yeah, she started, she started to dabble. Obviously, we saw her in the Hate You Give, you know, uh, what she can do. Now she's doing, she's taking on all sorts of forms. You know, she's doing uh, the, the Lovebirds with Kamali, and now she's the lead in a romantic drama. So, like, her people are saying, listen, you know, we need somebody that can sell on screen that has an audience already. Issa's it. You know, it, it. You know, when you have a fresh face, you need a new. You need a, a, a story that sells, like the way Get Out did with Daniel Kalala. You know, the way Joey Turner uh, Smith did with Queen and Slim. It ain't easy just to go in there and see a, a sell with a new face. But if the story is good, it sells. But if you have an actor that already has an audience. Then you can, you know, double the push because now you have somebody you're familiar with, right. you like, and then you're just hoping that the story sells. All right. Um, I know I said at the at the top of the segment I didn't want to really talk about Sundance, but there is one movie that I'm very interested in that has been getting a lot of positive buzz and was acquired. Uh, the producer is someone that both you and I know, uh, Gabrielle Glor. Her film, Sylvie's Love, premiered at Sundance, starring Namdi Asamoa and Tessa Thompson. Um, I'm hearing really good stuff about that, man. You saw it. What are you thinking? I really, really like that film. It's an old school. It's an old to the 50s, to the romantic drama of the 50s. You know, uh, some people may call it, if you're young enough, the Black La La Land. Because it, it's two star-crossed, you know, lovers, as you may, uh, um, trying to find a way towards each other without deterring the other one's dreams, if that's one way to put it. It's got uh, old-school jazz music. Nandi is a star in the making. If you saw a small film that he did called Crown Heights, yep. you know, you can tell this guy's gifted. Let's hope he gets more roles, more leading roles. Tessa, obviously, she's starting to put in that stride now where we're seeing her more do leading roles. You know, when you're doing these comic book movies that she's been doing in Thor, she gets the vis- she gets the uh, the visibility because, you know, it's a big film in the comic book movie. But when you do movies like she did with Little Wood and Now This, you can see the range that she's bringing onto the screen as an actress. And, now, you know, there's a new director, Eugene Ash. You know, he wrote it directly. He's been trying to get this film, like all these other films, for years. Uh, it's sold to Amazon. I hope they have a late release because I think what happens, and I said this earlier on another show, um, when they talk about, like, diversity and why we it's about volume. And what I mean by volume, you need a lot of films of this magnitude that, ha- that can be in contention uh, shown from October, September to December. Anything played before that, you know, a lot of times, you know, if the studio doesn't have the money to market it and to bring these people out, you you know, it's better to come out in the fall where you can get free publicity. And if it's a good story and it does well at the box office, it'll just bring in more stories. But when you come out early, 
you know, that means, and you know, the one that the movie is over and you're talking about the DVD release and all of that stuff. Now you're relying on side money to bring the talent out to remind people about the film, right. you know, which is what the case was for The Farewell and for us. You know, those were early releases, and, you know, uh, it didn't work for either one of them. You know, us didn't get a nomination, and neither did The Farewell, you know, and uh, The Farewell did a lot to remind people of that film, but, you know, it can't beat the heavyweight movies that come out in November, December. All right, Wilson, before we let you go, man, tell people where they can uh, follow you to read your content. You can find me over at blackfilm.com, which is the same word you use for Twitter, Facebook, as well as Instagram. All right, Wilson, it's always a pleasure, man. Welcome back, and we will definitely talk. Brother, you enjoy your weekend. All right, we'll talk later. All right, man, peace. All right. In the hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Of course, that is Wilson Morales, who joins us at the top of every show to give us the rundown of what's going on in entertainment. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, it's going to be time for us to welcome back my friend, two-time Oscar winner, Russell Williams II to talk all things Oscars. You guys are listening to The Big Show, keeping it real with Phil Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, and we'll be right back. I've been so many places in my life and time. I've sung a lot of songs I've made some bad ones. I've acted out my life in stages with 10,000 people watching. But we're alone now, and I'm singing this song to you. I know your image of me is what I hope to be. Treated you unkindly, but darling, can't you see? All right, and welcome back to The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon, I am Tim Gordon. Charles Kirkland is sitting in with us now, joining us. Welcome, Charles. Hey, what's up, y'all? All right, and before we get to, uh, we move on to our segment, this Sunday night is the Academy Awards. Um, yes. they, they told me that I have to say this, that I am hosting or co-hosting the Oscar party for the D.C. Film Society, along with uh, my colleague in crime, Travis Hobson. Doors open at 7 o'clock for red carpet. Six. Six o'clock, I'm sorry, for red carpet. Uh, I will be Natalie attired, as I am every year. So, uh, you know, come out, meet your favorite critics, watch the Academy Awards, do what you do. I'll be there. Yeah, whatever. Uh, having said that, online with us is a young man that I remember meeting at the onset of his career. Um, he is a D.C. native, and I'm just being sarcastic when I say that because I don't want to get embarrassed when he finally does come on and say hello. He is a two-time Oscar winner, two-time Emmy Award winner. He is a professor uh, at American University. Um, I, there's a whole lot I can say about this guy, but I will simply say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, Russell Williams. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, thank you, Tim, for the invite. As always, uh, the big show is Sunday, as you said, and uh, a lot sooner than I was uh, <laughs> expecting and most other voters, so we'll start from there. All right, we'll start from there, man. All right, so, um, I mean, I didn't ask you this, but, you know, I just want is it, to, is it ever cool to reveal what you voted on? Actually, it's against the Academy policy. Uh -huh. It's not like they send out uh, people in uh, black suits with handcuffs to arrest you. <laughs> but it's, 
and, and especially now since it's an all digital process. Right. Right there before you hit the enter button, there is a a, a card that says, "Please not, please do not share any information about your votes on social media with the press." Blah blah blah. To, to not tarnish the process of what and so on. But now they do let you keep a copy of what you voted on if you want to. Well, no. Know, but well, no. The reason I was asking Russell is because earlier this week I got a text, I guess from Variety, and I guess. Right. They had some anonymous. I saw something like, "Here's another secret oh, yeah. ballot." I'm like, "What are these secret ballots? How are you getting your hands on secret ballots, Variety?" Well, what happens is, is I'm I'm assuming that because Variety, Hollywood Reporter, and I think Deadline also have people like, as they say, anonymous will tell them what they voted on, how they voted, so why they like um, ScarJo and or Sarjo in two or three different. Um, movies and why they think that uh, 1917 will win even though they like uh, Marriage Story better for Best Picture. I'm like, where were you sitting? Um, <laughs> and, 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 and then in past years, one of the things that I like about uh, those anonymous votes, especially when I, I'm in class, I can show the students the wide-ranging opinions about these performances and things like that. I mean, so, you know, sometimes it seems like, you know, it may be racially motivated, but you can tell by some of these voters that they, they may be white and they still didn't like some of those performances because they thought it was derivative or it was a sympathy vote or the movie was like, you know, uh, it's laid up on the screen like somebody's bad painting. I mean, you, you see some really cold comments. I mean, I was like, whoa, okay. So, so, but this, so this does seem that there's some thought process that goes into it, but uh, you know, each academy, and I'm talking about TV, music, motion picture, they're all under the microscope now it's for many reasons. So let me just ask you a question. I am just want to go back a couple of weeks, man. I think I sent you an article. We were having a, a discussion back and forth online uh, right. about these, uh, I guess, members of the academy who were weighing in on certain people who didn't get nominations, and they were giving these reasons and I, I can't remember who the actual uh, Academy member was, but uh, as it related to Eddie Murphy, they talked about him being snubbed that I think the, the phrase was, and I'm paraphrasing, is that he wanted it too much. He was out there campaigning and he was trying too hard. Yeah. I, right, I, did see that, yeah. I mean, Russell, I, I've, heard, I've heard people say in certain years that this person didn't get a nomination because he didn't go out there and, and make himself available to the press and to voting academy members and didn't campaign. Right. Then you have somebody said he campaigned too much. Or, I, I mean, is there any rhyme or reason? And I'm, I'm, I mean, I know this might be a rhetorical question, but I want your opinion because you're an actual voter in the room. Is there an actual way that somebody is supposed to campaign or is all that uh, caca and it depends largely on if this person is liked, what the movie's prospects are, uh, right. if the person has never gotten one before, if they th right. uh, break it down for me, Russell. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say based on that article that uh, I, I read that you sent, it, it was, I would think that was a, a question. And a rather response to say, I didn't vote for Eddie Murphy because either I didn't like the movie, I don't like Eddie Murphy, <laughs> or whatever. Because he tried you know, too the, hard. Studios, the, the studios or the distributors or however you want to uh, define, you know, because we have like Netflix is now an MPA member uh, to Disney, to all these other companies and the independent companies that don't have the war chest. You have to get out there in front of voters. I think it's even more critical this year than it has ever been because you have, uh, I'll put it this way, in my era, I would not have known that I was even nominated yet. Our nominations would have been somewhere around Valentine's Day, and, of course, the Oscars were out in March. So you had a fairly decent amount of time even after the calendar year was ended to look at some of the smaller projects. You never have a problem finding the big studio releases because they're there. But like movies like, say, for instance, uh, Black and Blue, as far as I know, they didn't even send out a DVD. Wow. Uh, movies like Waves and things like that, yeah, they had a DVD and or a secure screener. But I, I would say for one reason, uh, that the reason why Harriet turned out to be 
uh, the nominee for Best Actress for Cynthia and also for Best Song is that Focus Films kept that movie in front of people the entire nominating season. And, the, and after they got nominated, then they kept them going to parties and doing screenings and things like that. So unless you cross the Academy line, which uh, actually they did um, rescind a nomination for a gentleman who's a 19-time nominee because he was accused of calling people on the phone and saying, vote for him. <laughs> wow. Now, I know this person. I love this person, right? He has never, that I can remember, called me and said, vote. He's, he would say, have you seen the movie? And blah, 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 and so forth and so on. And then that's it. You know, that, that's as much campaigning as I've ever actually personally experienced from him as an individual. But, of course, you know, the, the studios are going to go out there. They're going to buy ads. You know, they're going to give you parties. They're going to give you dinners. I'm not even going to say what happens with you, with you critics. But, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you're not going to vote before because they gave you a dinner. You're going to vote because, you know, you like what was on the screen. But I think it does help you remember these projects as they all turn into one big ball at the end of the voting season and you got to say oh my goodness what did i like in this area what did i like in this area but uh if you don't campaign uh, so many of the movies that i thought were really great performances in the independent space they didn't campaign or they didn't have maybe they just sent out a dvd and maybe people are just getting to that part part of the pile of dvds it's too late now all right. Well, you know what, man? I'm at, we're going to talk picks in a minute, man. But I want, for, for many people who have never heard, I mean, you and I have, have usually do this show once a year. And I always right. want you to give us an insider look. So, because you, you've actually attended the Academy Awards. What? I know you attended as a nominee twice, but I'm sure you've Correct. been back. Um, talk to me about Sunday morning when you're a nominee at the Academy Awards. What is your day? What was your day, Russell? Okay, well, as, as a nominee, I'll say it's generally cheaper than when you buy the ticket <laughs> and have to get yourself there, you know, because whatever studio you, you worked for that got nominated, they're going to provide the limo. Uh, they're going to buy the tickets for the seats. You also have tickets for the governor's ball, which is a big, big shindig directly immediately following the broadcast. So um, if you're a person that needs makeup and hair, you have makeup and hair people there at your house or wherever you're getting prepped uh, to fluff you and puff you. If you're wearing something from Armani or, or from Tom Ford or something, those clothes have already been provided, and maybe you're slipping into them and trying on two or three different pairs of shoes. If you're one of the kind of folks who have a uh, – they're on, on a first-name basis with Van Cleef and Arpels or Tiffany – if you've been uh, uh, given permission to wear a big diamond necklace on the event, I think they meet you at the venue. You get the diamond necklace before the you know actually walk the red carpet, and they're there to take it from you immediately after the governor's <laughs> ball, or, or, or after the ceremony if, if you're not going to the governor's ball. Uh, and and then it's it's a long day in line with limo after limo after limo. To, regardless of what venue you're in. Obviously, there's more security now than there would have been in the two years in, in, in uh, 90 and 91 when I was actually a nominee. The only other time I went back as a paying customer was in 2011 because that was my 20th anniversary of, of being a two-time Oscar winner. And it was a lot more security. The, the um, red carpet had three lanes in it instead of just one lane where you could kind of mingle and chit-chat. <laughs> Um, and then you go into the, to the event, and then if you're not a nominee, unless you're, you know, a big star that was invited by the studio, and whether you actually are presenting or not, they probably still get to go to the governor's ball. But if you pay for those front row seats, uh, sometimes you don't even have a ticket for the governor's ball even after that. I'm sure for the upper wow. decks, you don't have a governor's ball ticket. So, yeah, I would say it's cheaper as a nominee for many ways <laughs> in many ways even if you're like especially if you're an actor and you're out of the country mm. they will fly you back over if you plan to attend all you right. know, that's part of the studio's uh right. war chest all right so all right so we we set up the pre-show now during the show you were honored enough to win one and you're sitting in your seat holding an oscar and then you go to Correct. the governor's ball so let me ask you a question i'm not sure if they were doing it then 
But I know now at the governor's ball, from what I understand, that they have someone there who's an engraver that, you know, you can take your Oscar there right. and then they will engrave the plate while you're at the governor's ball. Were they doing that back in uh, 90 and 91? Hell no. <laughs> and, 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 I, and as I recall, because I, you know, when I went back in 2011, of course I wasn't a nominee. But as I recall, that happens backstage even before you return to your seat. Wow, that they engrave it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Because they've got you know it's computerized. And they have the badges, and they already have each category already locked into the computer. So it's just a matter of it was Tim Gordon at one. So okay, we'll pull his out and. If he had, you know, partners, if it's a shared award like sound is, and there are two or three other people with you. Mm. But, yeah, the years I was there, they asked you the dumbest question I've ever heard, which is, okay, so first of all, on the bottom of the statuette is a number. So each, each statuette is unique in that regard. And, and of course, at that time, there's no- Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No badge on it, so they ask you two seconds after they've handed you. Do you want to leave it with us, and then in a week or two, when we get the badges, we'll affix it, and you can come pick it up? And I'm like, no. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so then, uh, so then you can take it with you without the badge. And I'm like, yes. And then when we have the badges, you know, mailed to us, then you can come to the academy and have it put on. I'm like, yes, thank you. Because how am I going to get in the party without this Oscar? Right. <laughs> Good point. I mean, I'll get in. I'll get in the governor's ball, sure. But I'm saying after that, you know, if I, if I wanted to go to Spago's or even the, I don't even think they had the Vanity Fair party back then. But I, you know, I, you know, being a behind the camera person, it's like, yeah, you want an Oscar tonight? Okay, where is it? Well, I, I, next. I love how he said, "How was I going to get? How was I going to get in these parties without this Oscar?" <laughs> So, I don't have that face recognition. You know? oh, like, you know. But there was one person in my era who had an Oscar in his hand, who had facial recognition, and could not get in Spago's party. Wow. <laughs> Hold that thought, man. Stick a pin in that. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back on the other side. I'm talking to two-time Oscar winner Russell Williams about all things Oscar. You guys keep it where you got it, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wendell Pierce, and you're listening to The Big Show. Keeping it still with Phil Gordon on Phil Gordon Radio. Radio Studios. Um, before we begin, I just want to say, man, this is the first show that we are doing on video. People will now have the opportunity to watch the big show as well as to listen to it. We should actually create a banner and call it the Big Show Experience. Because wait, that's because uh, we have fun in here every week. Wait, what? People can see me now? <laughs> I don't know about this. <laughs> and you elected to go hatless. I, I love I, how you did that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Shane and I have been waiting all day. Uh, we usually introduce you at the top of each show, and there's always some disjointed, crazy greeting that you give out, man. So you were being nice today. I, I, You know, sometimes I can grow. 
I can evolve. <laughs> but this is one of those times. <laughs> Shane, he's giving us nothing today. We're talking to Shane, I guy. I was going to say producer. something like Goonie Goo Goo or something like that, but you know, I, nah, it, it, it wasn't right. <laughs> this, this is Oscars show, all so right, you know, man. we got to. I got to have a little dignity. All right, it's also February, and I and you know, we always talk about Black History Month, man. Every month on this show is Black History Month because we're, we, you know, Russell Williams, who was just here, is Black History. Every year we bring him on. He is the only, and I didn't even say this in the last segment, he is the only African-American to have won multiple competitive Oscars back-to-back. Like, they're only, Mahershala Ali is one, two. Um, What's the gentleman's name who did both uh, Bird and Dreamgirls? Uh, Willie Burton is also a sound mixer. Mm -hmm. He has two Oscars. Denzel Washington has two Oscars for Glory in the supporting category and then for Training Day Day and the lead. But Russell is the only one of that group of four people who won his back-to-back. So in 1989 for Glory and then in 1990 for Dances with Wolves, which... Fills me with a lot of pride that that's my friend and he's just so down to earth with it and understands the game. Did not know, though, and, you know, you'll have to listen to our overtime segment. uh, Did not know that he had worked (laughs) on uh, a story, a classic television film and did not win an Emmy for that one. So if you listen to overtime... You can hear that story. So I was like, wow, it's hot. So, it, was, it was a shock. Uh, absolutely, man. So, But this segment, Charles and I wanted to talk about a brand new series that debuted earlier this week on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And it was a story about black Hollywood. And it is simply called They Gotta Have Us, a play on Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It. Right. Or was it on When They See Us? No, 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 no. It's They Gotta, they have, gotta us. have Us. Yeah, They Gotta okay. Have Us. All right. Um, and the, the the whole miniseries is the rise of black actors. They've gone from being the backdrop to calling the shots. This is the inside story, the turning points of black life on both sides of the lens, from Portier to Harry Belafonte to present day. So I'm going to review it in the next segment. But for now, I want to talk about some of the highlights and some of the things I learned. Because I go in, and and I guess we, you and I have talked about this on the show before, a lot of people see me, you know, as, you know, of course, what I am, a black man, right? And understanding that if I'm in the film game, that all I do is black film. Right. Which is so much far from the truth, so far from the truth, right? But I will admit, and I think I've shared this story on this show, that I started off as a historian of black film. So what I first, before I became a film critic, I studied, you know... Um, I'm trying to remember the, the gentleman's name. I think it's not William Randolph, uh, who in 1910 produced the, the 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 Pullman, which was the first film directed by a black person. Um, you know, uh, 1916, 1915, 1916, Lincoln and Johnson Noble, mm. who had their kind of like the, the forerunners of the first black guys that were producing films. Matter of fact, Oscar Oscar Michaud Michaud. came to them when he had an idea to do a film. They told him no. He went and wrote Homesteader, the book, and then produced... And did his own thing. And did his own thing. You know, Within Our Gates uh, was his second film. I forget his first film. Um, He also produced Symbol of the Unconquered, 1921, Body and Soul with Paul Robeson, 1924. So I started out doing that. That was what I initially was interested in. Understanding that King Vidor was nominated for an Oscar for directing Hallelujah, which was the first all-black uh, talking film. Um, trying to think of other highlights. Of course, Paul Robeson in films like, um, God, not, not, uh, not, not Stagecoach or Showboat. I'm sorry, not Showboat, but I'm, it was a film before. The Emperor Jones uh, in the early 30s, I think it was 33. So this was all the stuff that I learned in the game when I first came in before I became a film. And he's critic. not doing it from a book. And I'm not. Well, he's they can see me. I'm not doing it from yeah. a book. But I say oh, yeah. all that to say, I say all that to say that when I watched, they gotta have us. I had an expectation that there were there, you were gonna include all of black film, not just black film from say. I think they started. In the special, I think it was think Pioneers and Legends. I think they started 
I want to say. Well, they did. They talked about Hattie McDaniel, but they they, they, they talked about Hattie McDaniel, but then they went over. They kind of they they glossed over they glossed it and, over, and they right. jumped over to Dorothy Dandridge with uh, uh, Cleopatra Jones. I mean Carmen Jones. Carmen Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Cleopatra Jones was Carmen Jones. Twenty years later, <laughs> but but the thing that was interesting and one of the things I studied and learned is that we know that Sidney Poitier launched a new movement in 1950, right, right, when he, right, when he was cast in No Way Out. But what people don't study, and I think we, I, I would say I dropped the ball last year on this show because last year would have been the 51, would have been the 70th anniversary of 1949. 1949 is an important year, which I'm sorry that he didn't cover in this, which talked about the four films, these four stories of, of African-Americans that sort of gave them the impetus to go in this direction with 48 and 50. Um, Intruder in the Dust from Wano Hernandez was 1949. Um, Pinky was also 1949. There are two other films. One is about a family of really light or fair-skinned African-Americans who were passing for white. And get exposed, and I can't remember the title of that one. And then there's one more with James Edwards. Um, oh my God, where has the famous scene where he's crippled, where he's been injured, and he's laying in the bed, and the white guy is trying to motivate him to get out the bed, and he calls him the N word, "Get up, you dirty N!" And he gets up and he walks <laughs> disgustedly, and the guy goes, and then they cry, and he like, "Thank you," and I was like. Hey man, we come a long way. <laughs> that scene would not work today. Now, now before I'm gonna get back to, they gotta see us. But I also want to share that one of the internal frustrations I have, and 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 as a, a 50 plus year old African American man, is still a frustration. Is that even to this day, when I go home and watch certain movies or Turner Classic movies. I have to like understand that I'm like not watching them with 2020 eyes, right, but right. I'm watching them like in 1936. So when I watch Showboat, and I never forget one day I was sitting at home watching it, and uh, Irene Dunn plays the character who who's teaching all of the darkies, which is what they call yeah. them in the film, all the darkies how to dance, and she's doing this dance, and 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 I, I was sitting there and I said. If it if it wasn't my own television, I'd have thrown a boot through. That's how <laughs> that's how frustrated I was. Or when I watch certain movies that sometimes will play on TCM when they show the characters darkening up, putting blackface on. Right, right. You right. know, you watch films like Breakfast at Tiffany's, where you know uh, Mickey, Mickey Rooney Ro- is Rooney. playing like the the stereotypical Asian. So a lot of that stuff. I mean, I understand that you had three episodes in order to cover this, but I thought that the perspective of it was really interesting because they had a, a guy who was who may have who may live in America now but I think he was a Brit. Right. That the, that, that it, it also included like the struggle with the Brits and the and you know black Brits and 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 black people. Right. Um there was an episode uh one of them which I thought was really interesting and left me feeling some kind of way as it as it left some of the Americans feeling some kind of way was the British invasion. Did you see that? You saw that episode. I have not seen that episode, Woo! but my, my, but I was thinking about that as anyway mm. because the show is produced by a Brit, and I'm like, okay, um, he's kind of missing out because even what you, they never talked about No Way Out on, on the show. They came in with Sydney Portier at Lilies of the Field, right? And so they had missed uh, one movie at least of Sydney's well, repertoire. They missed, the, they missed a bunch, man, because if you didn't cover Sydney Portier in the fifties, you missed No Way Out. You missed uh, Edge of the City in 1957. You missed um, the Defiant Ones in 58. Right. You missed, um, God, he made, he made. I think it was Salt, something of value. I've literally seen almost every Sidney Poitier movie. Um, so Sidney Poitier, and they talked about this, though, which I thought was really interesting. They talked about the fact that when in 1964, when Sidney Poitier won his Oscar for Lilies of the Field, mm-hmm. which I've said publicly, he really didn't deserve an Oscar for that. <laughs> Paul Newman should have won for HUD. Poitier should have won in 61 for Raising the, the Sun. Or Poitier could have won in 58 for either, no, 57, The Edge of the City, or 58 for The Defiant Ones. Poitier could have won several times, right? Poitier should have won an Oscar 
for one of three films in 1967, whether it was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which Spencer Tracy won the Oscar for, right. In the Heat of the Night, which Rod Steiger won the Oscar for, and for To Serve With Love, that he didn't get nominated didn't for get anything, nominated. but it was a hit. And remember, if you go back and study it, all three of those movies I just named came out within six months of each other in 1967. And we're all blockbusters. All of them. Portier, a giant in the game. Giant. I, there's no disputing. Actually, he's not only a giant. My nickname for him is The Foundation because without Sidney Portier, you don't have Spike Lee. You don't have Denzel Washington. You don't have Rita Moreno. You don't have a lot. You don't have any actor of color if Portier doesn't come in and open the door in 1950. And that's and that's real talk. That's not me. I mean, you can go check Donald Bogle. You can check, you can check other historians. <laughs> it's not me. I'm just telling you. Portier is do, that important to the game. It I think really they is. do a good a job of establishing that in the series, though. Right. I do, I do right. think that they give Portier a lot of credit for who he was, how, what, how he was perceived by other actors, other, uh, including Diane Carroll, who right. was dating him at the time. And I, you was know. Glad, I was glad they got that story on film. <laughs> that, well, that was great. That's actually true. One of the other things that I thought, because I learned several things watching this, right? A, Carmen Jones. This landmark film, they filmed it in 10 days. 10 days. Now, now here's it, Rob. Now, we give Tyler Perry a lot of grief now because he'll run around and say, I made this movie in eight days, I made this movie in five days. They made an all-black musical in 10 days. And, I mean, this was this was 10. Like, if you, have you ever seen Carmen Jones, Shane? Have you ever seen Carmen Jones? Oh, absolutely. Carmen Jones is absolutely stunning. Dorothy Dandridge and Harry Belafonte are two of the most beautiful human beings who have ever been on film together in any movie. In any movie. And they White, black, and they couldn't kiss. Couldn't kiss. Oh, my God. Just just great, man. <laughs> so, I, that, so that was one thing that I learned. Um, it was another fascinating fact that I learned um, in, in this miniseries, and there's so many different things. How, that, how good was it to see John Singleton? And Diane Carroll. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to talk about this a little in the review. I think what this this documentary was missing is that it should have had. I mean, I understand that you can't get Sidney Poitier now for reasons that I won't reveal, but you, we'll talk about off camera. Can't get Poitier right now, but you should have had Denzel Washington, and you got to have Spike Lee because they talk about those two so much. Yeah, you got to have them. Yeah. It would have been nice to have had Halle Berry. It would have been nice to have had somebody like Jamie Foxx on there. I mean, you gotta have people. Hell, it would have been nice to have Will Smith, right, on there. Samuel L. Right. Jackson. I mean, so I think about the Black Godfather, right, and I think about all the people that were on Black Godfather. They had everybody: President Obama, President Clinton, um, Henry Aaron. They had everybody on Black Godfather. Yep. So that that to me <laughs> is the is the one thing which will lead to my review. I was in the gonna next say segment. you talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So we're gonna we're gonna shut it down right now. We're gonna come back on the other side, and it's gonna be time for us to talk movie. So you guys keep it where you got it. Of course, you're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, and we'll be right back. I was born. In a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come Oh, yes it will Welcome back to the show. And, of course, this week's reviews are brought to you by TheFilmGordon.com. Experience film through the eyes of a true film addict. Check out all of our film content at TheFilmGordon.com. There are several new films opening in theaters and on streaming services this week. But before we begin, cue the music. All 
All right, first up this week, streaming on Netflix is the three-part documentary, Black Hollywood, They Gotta Have Us. And, of course, it deals with the rise of black actors as they have gone from being the backdrop to calling the shots. This is the inside story of the turning point of black life on both sides of the lens, from Sidney Poitier to Harry Belafonte to the present day. And here is a clip from They've Gotta Have Us. A black man kissing a white woman on the screen in America? There was only one kind of story that would get made. Thug number two, the slaves. Prostitute. The hustle. Literate basketball players. <laughs> I didn't think I could make films. That was something that people who were better than me did. And when I saw the face pop up, first thing I was just like, what, black, black. <laughs> All right, as I said in our earlier segment, uh, I would review it. Uh, we had a chance to flesh a lot of the stuff out. Where I, f- I fit on this is that I think this documentary is, fill- is full of a lot of really interesting information, and it has a wonderful first-person point of view over the course of, I would say, about four or five decades of different actors and filmmakers, including two that are no longer with us, of course, the late, great John Singleton and the late, great Diane Carroll, who share their stories and their experiences on projects, you know, during that that kind of move the culture along. Um, for me, I thought that from a as a novice, if you really didn't know a lot about black film or black Hollywood, that it is a wonderful primer to hear the voices of people like Harry Belafonte or Delroy Lindo talk about some of the experiences of some of the films that you know and love. For me. And I think I said this when we were talking about uh, in our in the segment when we discussed it, that for me, it was it wasn't about what was there. It was the lack of what I felt that wasn't there. There were other voices that I thought were very important that should have been included in the conversation. And I don't even take away from the fact that it had a more of a British sensibility because there was some information about, you know, the first uh, uh, the kind of the Harry Belafonte of Britain. I forget the gentleman's name. Um, But overall, I think uh, Black Hollywood, they've got to have us is a fascinating document uh, that, that, or it's something that it, that's wonderful that is entered into the canon as a great conversation starter to kind of alert a new generation about black Hollywood and, and black films and how important it is, but it's not the be-all, end-all, because as I said, I just think that the perspective is a little narrow. And if we wanted to talk about all films, I think, People keep forgetting about the father of African film, which is Usame Simbene. And if you want to talk about the father of black film, of course, you can't do a show like this without mentioning Oscar Michaud. So for me, it felt a little incomplete. And for that reason, instead of it being a slam dunk, I'm going to give it a straight B. I thought They've Got to Have Us is a really wonderful document that is is a conversation starter, but dig a little deeper dig a little deeper up next is the big release this week and of course i'm going to use the entire title for this one it's called birds of prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn or just say simply birds of prey (laughs) this is a superhero film based on the dc comics team birds of prey is the eighth film in the DC Extended Universe and a follow-up to Suicide Squad from 2016. This version of this film is directed by Kathy Yan, written by Christina Hodson. So it's an all-ladies production starring Margot Robbie, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Journey Smollett-Bell, Rosie Perez, Chris Messina, uh, Ali Wong and Ewan McGregor. And the film follows Harley Quinn as she joins forces with the Black Canary, Helena Bertinelli and Renee Montoya to save Cassandra Kane from the Gotham City crime lord Black Mask. And here is a clip from Birds of Prey. I want to kill you because without the Joker around, I can. For all your noise and bluster, you're just a, a silly little girl with no one around to protect her. Whoa, wait. 
What? Don't kill me. Ah, right. No, 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 seriously. Romy, Romy. Come on, there's gonna be something, something we can figure out. Hey, wait, wait, you lost something, right? You lost something, I heard you say it. A diamond. Yeah. I can help you find it. Seriously. I know the East End better than anybody. You want this diamond back? I'm your gal. All right. Um, I remember seeing Suicide Squad back in 2016 and leaving the theater underwhelmed. Like, you know, you had all this talent there, Will Smith and all these other cats, and the movie just did not work. And ironically, the best thing that was in it that stood out, of course, was Harley Quinn, right? Um, so now DC, and I'll and stick a pen in the DC thing, because we're going to talk about the disjointed nature of DC Comics on film, uh, to talk about Harley Quinn. And in this story, Harley Quinn, you know, they spend the first 15, 20 minutes, you know, her and the Joker are broken up. She's not taking it well. Um, now that the Joker's out of the picture, all of the people who wanted her dead now can come for her because she has no immunity, she has no protection, and they're all rushing her. Um, meanwhile, while this is happening, there's several other subplots that are happening. There's this one woman that we find out later on that is the Huntress who is avenging her family's uh, death. There's also Black Canary played by Journey Smollett-Bell who starts off as a singer and then we find out that she has amazing butt-kicking skills. Uh, Renee Montoya is played by Rosie Perez, the ex-fly girl from, uh, from you know, and uh, who now is a police detective who is all, and everybody is tracking uh, a diamond that has been swallowed by a young girl named Christina Kane. Am I getting that right? Cassandra Kane, I'm sorry, but from Cassandra Kane. So what we find later on in the film is that all these elements come together that they want to protect Cassandra Kane from the black mask played by Ewan McGregor. And hence, you have a butt-kicking experience that I saw in, is it called 4DX? 4DX. Uh, if you're not familiar with 4DX, 4DX is when you go to a theater and you sit in a chair, and everything that happens on the screen, you feel it in your seat. If there's water splashing, a mist comes out. When people are fighting, air is going like punches are being thrown. When when people are riding in cars, you're they're shaking you around. I tell you one thing: if you don't ever want film critics to fall asleep at movies, <laughs> just put movies all in 4D and 4DX, and you'll keep everybody up. It's impossible to fall asleep. Birds of Prey. Was, was an excellent movie, and honestly, I think the experience of watching it on 4DX, I'm, I'm probably going to bump my review up a half a star because it was fun. Like when they would shoot gunfire, the, the lights would flash in the theater. I was like, wow, that's how. Now, now, it cost me a pretty penny to do that, and I was not happy, but I walked out and was like, yeah, I want to see bad boys like this. <laughs> so for that reason, Birds of Prey gets a B. Uh, this movie is way better than Suicide Squad. And DC, which I'm not really, uh, I'm going to leave it alone. DC needs to get his act together and try to, to emulate Marvel and build a universe, man. Harley Quinn would be front and center in this universe. Good job on Birds of Prey, man. Good job. All right, and that's all we have for today. And on behalf of our super producer, the man not only behind the glass, but the man with the camera now. He also is our DJ in here. You know, this dude putting colors up in here. It is the man they call Sugar Shane Lewis, Cincinnati's finest. Also, no selfish man in the in radio, Pastor Chuck. Go ahead, say it. Yabba dabba, baby. <laughs> as I tell you guys, in closing every week, please see something good at the movies. <laughs> Until next week, I am out. You guys take care.